Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern bar cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 267 of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for this new and noteworthy episode where we take some of the newest and most interesting spirits on the market and give them a little test drive so that you know what to expect. This time around, I'm joined by my friend, spirits expert and educator, Tracy Franklin. She's another DC-based practitioner of boozy arts and sciences, and I'm thrilled that she was able to join me to review our summer 2023 submissions. These episodes, they don't really require a whole lot of preamble from me, and we do get into some really fun bottles in this show. So without further ado, let's jump straight in. Tracy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Uh, So since this is your first time, uh, we'll obviously get into lots of great booze tastings here in just a few minutes, but uh, could you take a, a little while and just you know, acquaint our listeners with who you are and uh, I guess what you do. Absolutely. Uh, I've had a very uh, unusual career. Uh, I actually started out as a performer. So I toured nationally and internationally with uh, Broadway shows. I sang with a show called Winnie uh, Winnie the Pooh show all over the world. Um, It was the first time that Disney had done a live production for kids. So before they do like Disney on ice, those sort of things. So we were that, but on stage. So I toured from Australia, New Zealand, Thailand, Malaysia, like it, Spain, um, Holland. It was incredible. Um, I actually sang in nine languages, which was really wow. fun as well. Yeah. Uh, found out that I had a really good ear for singing in other languages too. So that was good. And I decided I wanted to, to start doing more adult shows. So went to New York and then I booked Hairspray, Color Purple, Ragtime, toured with those shows, did some off-Broadway stuff in New York. And then I decided I needed to take a break. My husband had, well, my boyfriend at the time had gotten a position in Tampa Bay and I wanted to go with him. And my agent thought it was an acceptable time for me to um, stop uh, if I want to take a a short break and just kind of see what else was around in the world. And so I uh, had already started a little whiskey production company with a woman named Jennifer Wren. And it was called Worski. It was all about increasing diversity in the world of whiskey. So while I was performing, I was also throwing whiskey events that felt inclusive. So making sure that queer people felt good there, people of color, young people, just, you know, 15 years ago, the whiskey community didn't look quite as diverse as it does now. And I'm really excited to, to say that I think that some of the effort that I put in and all of the people that were around this effort to diversify around that time really have been able to change um, what whiskey looks like. And that's exciting. Um, from that, I actually got discovered by Glenn Fiddick. I was in Tampa working at a whiskey bar and the brand manager sat down in front of me. We talked Glenn Fiddick and he said, send your resume. And so I had done a few little positions with Angel Zambi and um, I worked with Rum Jam. I was our sales manager. And But Glenn Fiddick was a, a dream. And I, I really do love single malt. And the fact that I was able to step into that role, I took over the East Coast. And then before I left, I was the national ambassador. I left that to then study production because I'm a crazy person. So during COVID, I was part of the Nearest and Jack Advancement Initiative with a goal to come out as a master distiller. I also got sick during that time, um, got sepsis and uh, had some injuries that have made me um, not quite as strong as I used to be, but still really excited to pitch into this industry and find another way. So though I can't be uh, on my feet and really doing all the things I wanted to do as a distiller, I still really want to create change in this industry. And I just finished my last exam for my diploma in distillation from the Institute of Brewing and Distilling in London. So got a ton of technical knowledge up in this noggin of mine, and I really hope to be able to help improve um, the whiskey category. I don't know. The spirits in general, honestly, it's not even just whiskey. I love spirits. All of all of them. I love them. Well, you should be <laughs> at, right at home here in this format because we've got a little bit of everything. We do have a, a slight theme with uh, with today's new and noteworthy tasting, but uh, but yeah, we've got one gin and two American single malts that we're going to taste through. And just as a reminder to our listeners, you know, there's plenty of people out there who do spirits reviews 
And a lot of those folks are, you know, giving out grades or numbers or stars. They have their own rating systems and all that. And I think it's useful to a certain extent, but I think that, you know, the way that, that we try to go about it here on the modern bar cart podcast is to say, okay, Taste is to a certain extent subjective for everybody. My 87 might be your 63. And so, you know, I think there's a certain point at which the numbers and the grading process becomes less useful until you've got a panel of people sitting around and and talking about it like you and I were able to engage with uh, this year at ADI with their annual judging of craft spirit. So I think totally great when you have a bunch of experts sitting around a table, tasting things blind to put numbers on things. But I think here you and I are just going to have a conversation and we're going to focus on our sort of blind impressions. What, what are we smelling and tasting? And, um, you know, we can read some of the information that's put out with these spirits and kind of tell our listeners what that makes us think about what some of these process things Obviously, yeah. you've just you've got yeah. this, you've got the fresh knowledge from your distilling course on your mind here. So you're you're going to be able to take us through all the little nuances of production. But but what does that tell you as an informed consumer, as an expert, that we might be able to kind of model for our listeners? So um, I think with that, we should probably start with our first clear spirit here. I love it. Let's do it. Uh, so this beautiful gin, it's a uh, Confluence American gin, courtesy of Still 630. Uh, and you and I, we actually both met David. Do you remember David did, from, from the judging? He's amazing. Yes, he actually sent me the nicest email and I haven't responded. How about that? Rude me, rude. Wow. Um, and it's funny when I received it, it was, I was in the midst of actually another competition and I basically like teared up because it was so kind and, um, and as you funny, when I opened this last night, I was like, Oh no, I owe him an email. <laughs> <laughs> well, David, this is, this is your, uh, this is this your warning is for you, my friend. incoming from Tracy. You got an email. <laughs> so the other, the, so the crazy thing about this was you and I both met David and yeah. then we've got a period of time that elapses between when we do the judging blind and then we find out all the winners that are announced publicly. And when I was reading the public announcement, I was like, oh, damn, David's <laughs> gin actually won. Um, and right. I feel like that's kind of, and maybe it's not rare. I mean, obviously they have a great group of people that they pull from as judges at ADI, but it was so great to be able to talk to him and then have that like, yeah, you go buddy kind of moment when, when they made the announcement. Right. And they had more, you know, and one of the things that they were trying to, to do was to make sure that you didn't get your own product. Right. So we know that this came to us totally separate table. He didn't get to touch that or taste that. Um, and it's still one, you know, so it's not that it was biased in any way towards him. We had no idea his product was even part of it. I didn't, he never told me. And so pretty exciting to see it come out on top. Yeah. So I, I guess first question is, uh, you know, I think you and I both nosed it and we were like, oh, ooh, invigorating. Uh, so what, do you, yeah. what are your first impressions of the nose of this spirit? Well, for me, this is incredibly floral. So we're definitely getting that juniper. It's there, but this is floral. There's lots of big round, like uh, blood orange as well, ooh. citrus. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, because it's not like a sharp. It's got It's got a depth to it. It is a very aromatic gin, uh, and yes. obviously gin is an aromatic spirits category, but this is, you know, one of the things that I like to ask when I have a piece of information like this was the best craft gin at ADI is like, all right, what did those other people see in this gin that made it really stand out? And to me, that really intense aroma, but not intense yeah. in a bad way, not intense in, you know. No, it's not like you walked into your grandmother's bathroom, right? Right. It's not like. <laughs> right. Uh, but it's intense. Um, and it's not pine. It's also not walking into a pine forest. I feel like there's even a little, maybe a little lemongrass or something. Like this is just, there's a lot going on here and I am excited to dip my nose in every single time and find something new. Yeah. It's one of those spirits that I'm almost content just nosing. Obviously we're going to taste this, but it's, it's uh, yes. like if, if I could capture this in a sort of like a reed diffuser or a car freshener, like I would be totally fine like walking around in this aroma all day. Cause it's very refreshing. Oh. Like it does. It's almost like when you have those oils that you put on and they're like supposed to give you energy. I'm trying to think of like what's in those because this makes me feel like that 
Yeah, and and there. it's got we've got like a lovely <laughs> like a, a lovely water scene on the front of it, and like refreshing. <laughs> yeah, like it, it is. It's refreshing to me. That's a, that's a great way to describe it. So I'm gonna go in. I'm gonna take a little sip here. Let's do it. And yeah, it's it's a little different. It, there, there's some other things emerging, especially. Um, I'm getting some spicier, almost peppercorny kind of. I was literally that was yes, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe like lime leaf. Ooh, the lime uh, leaves, how they have that like almost bitterness, but that sour tart. Yeah, like a macroot. Um, lots of herbal. That they're like I feel like coriander is definitely in there. Yeah, and I, I think coriander is a, a good call out, and and I'd be curious to circle back with David on this because I've worked with botanicals in the cocktail bitter space. And so I have a little mm-hmm. bit of experience sourcing these, uh, these botanicals that let's be honest, most of them are not most of a lot of the popular ones are not native to the United States. Right. Their Absolutely. whole industry of spice trade goes back millennia. And so you can get good coriander and you can get right. maybe some older, drier, huskier tasting coriander. And for me, this is like, this is one of the few times when I can walk up to a craft gin and say, Ooh, I get a lot of coriander and not be like, and it's but, that bright, fresh citrus, but it's kind of bitter, right? you know? Um, this uh, is not that, uh, yeah. Yeah. So what would you use that? Like if, if, if I, if, if you had to walk into a perfectly well-stocked bar with this bottle, and you had all the ingredients you can possibly want. What do you think your go-to drink might be for this particular gin? That's very interesting. So I could do possibly a spirit-forward French 75 with that. It, again, I want to push those citrus forward on this. But honestly, I think for a quality gin that has unique flavor profiles, for me, I always tend to lean on martinis. I really love a martini mm-hmm. with a gin that has some life and flavor and and. Um, intriguing notes to it because you'll keep dipping in there and they typically are just opened a little bit by the vermouth you know adding just a little bit more of those aromatics um and lowering that proof just a touch so i can't help but just want to put this in a martini man yeah yeah i'm with you on that <laughs> with a, with the lemon twist you the know? french 75 was a good call out though because also lemon twist right and yeah. uh and you get a little bit of the effervescence from the bubbles there that are, that kind yeah. of aerate it and you know i think that would definitely up the like up the refreshment quality in this. I could see, I could see maybe also a Corpse Survivor number two here if yeah. you wanted to go yeah. the sour route. I think that might be the first place that that my brain kind of goes if if we're gonna okay. uh, stick some acid in here. But what I figured I'd do is we do have some botanical notes here on the Google Doc that I shared. So okay. um, I figured that. Uh, I would read out a couple things here. So Confluence American Gin built to portray a sense of place and communicate mm. it through, um, you know, celebrating the confluence in our lives. So uh, near the distillery, here's the here's a fun fact. Okay. It's the horseradish capital of the world. So Ooh. they incorporated horseradish and pink peppercorns. So we were right on peppercorns. Definitely, yeah. We did, they call out the coriander and the juniper. And I think... You were also like right on the mark with um, with the lemongrass call up because they have galangal root. Oh yeah, which is oh, one yeah. of my favorites. Um, so good, I love it. So I hadn't experienced it until I came across a recipe, a David Chang recipe, and I was and I asked for galangal, so I went and found it, and I was I fell in love. It is not ginger. It is not garlic. It is this incredibly vibrant spice that is a mix of kind of both of those things mm-hmm. and horseradish. Like it is really, really lovely and vibrant. And if you guys haven't tried it, just go get some gal and gal and play with it for cocktails. Like it makes a beautiful syrup. Mm-hmm. I have never yeah. syrupified it. I have used it in kind of <laughs> a um, in a. I've used the the dried version of it in uh, the tiki bitters that we make. And mm. and yeah. So so here's I think a little place where all right. We did our blind tasting. We made some guesses. Then we went and did some research and we found like, oh, okay, here's some of the actual things that they're putting in there. And to me, what that helps me appreciate about why this gin is so great is because I can see the flavor blending that's going on, right? We've got that horseradish root that is very intensely spicy. And then, you know, how do you bridge the gap between horseradish and some of the other maybe more delicate citruses and coriander's like, hmm. Right. Galangal root's a really smart way to bridge it is a that perfect gap. Bridge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
for me, the horse fetish is just a slight brightness. Like it's there. I'm not getting a, a quintessential, like what I would think of as horseradish, mm. which <laughs> are you? <laughs> I, well, so yeah, so that's a good point. And I mean, maybe that has something to do with like the, the refreshment quality of the horseradish. Yes. And it's almost like a, like a, not mentholation, but it kind of does that same yeah. thing and it kind of stays with you. And I think also, you know, this is a very soft gin. It's, it's only clocking in at 40.5%, 81 okay, proof. Yeah. So it's not huh. really. Oh, heard. Cause it definitely feels different than that on the palate. Right. And it feels much more robust on the palate. So absolutely. That is a textural component that I think the horseradish is adding. Yeah. Huh. 40 really? Yeah, 40 40.5. 40. Yeah. So so yeah, I mean it's um I think this is a really unique gin and even not knowing some of the really cool botanical wizardry that's going on, I mean you can appreciate it blind just in and of itself as a liquid, but then I think knowing a little bit more about it does sort of give you a little bit more of that intrigue and you know for me it's funny uh I was almost leaning away from the martini, but now that I was now that now that I think about that horseradish, I mean it, it kind yeah. of begs some Gibson vibes. Right? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. Yep. And that would be lovely. I need to make some good pickled onions. <laughs> uh, so the, I guess the last thing I want to make sure that people know is I, I do want to like call out the price points on these bottles just so that you can understand what shelf, so to speak, they're playing yes. on. That's uh, so if you go to the Still 630 website, um, this uh, this is just being kind of released. It's a brand new product for them. And so they have a $40 pre-order. Um, and it says that it's a $50 value on the site. So I'm not quite sure if that means nice. they're going to be listing it on shelves at $50 a bottle. But for me, I mean, you know, this is a $40 bottle. Uh, it's sitting right in that $35 to $40 range alongside some of the beautiful products by like St. George, by, you know, right. alongside the botanist. Like I, I think quality wise for me, this is playing right there. So, um, you know, for me, $40 is not necessarily something I'm going to blink at knowing the quality that's in the bottle. Um, so I, that's kind of where we're sitting with this, but do you have any, any last thoughts that you want to wrap up on as we, uh, uh, migrate to whiskey? Yeah, no price point. I completely agree with you on that. I think that because it does have a little bit of that lower proof, that may be why it's going to suggest a tiny bit lower than what I would expect for something like a botanist. Um, but I think that it's a really high quality gin. And I'm actually like, oh, let me go ahead and pre-order this gin and uh, make something delicious with it. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, yeah. kudos again to David and uh, Still 630. And uh, now on to our next spirit. Uh-oh. Here we go, y'all. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> we've got Delbach? another. Yeah, we've got Delbach here. Whiskey Delbach. And this is another friend of the podcast, my my good yes. buddy Mark Viertaler, who my good buddy. What are you talking about? Oh, you give can't him back. <laughs> uh, did so we're both. So we haven't actually talked about that. That we are both in DC. Yeah, right. And so that is why that is why he is both of our friends. And and so you met him when he was doing some work yes. up in Maryland, right? So tell me about exactly. that. Exactly. So I actually am because of my studies and and being incredibly obnoxious in my pursuit of people within the industry with more knowledge than me. I'm one of those people that's just like sends random emails and is like, Hey, can I study with you? Can I learn from you? Uh, Mark was one of the people that was recommended to me. They're like, he's right there and he is a talent. So I reached out to him and we actually got together and well, first we were just talking back and forth on Instagram because that's how I do because I just ne I seem to not get out in public as often as I should. And we finally met up for a dinner and just like vomited so much about whiskey to each other. And it was so incredible. And he was so supportive. He was just getting ready to leave to take over at Delbox. So talking about how excited he was, the opportunities he saw there um, for improvement or even just more consistency creation there, but then also the freedom that he was being given and the, the team that was already there. So I was super excited to know that he was heading there just because he was so excited about it. But he has always been an incredible resource for me because I'm not always at a distillery. So I have the opportunity to to help friends and kind of jump in at distilleries that are local. But I ha I don't have a place. I'm not a distiller. And I don't know that my body would, would like that very much. <laughs> but to be able to talk to people and ask questions um, that are very, very technical of people that are doing this 
daily has been really incredible. And so I thank Mark for always being an open book for me. And so many people within the whiskey industry have literally just poured into me. And so I'm really, really grateful. Well, that is a shining endorsement of uh, a shining person. He, uh, he's he been a yeah. guest on the podcast a couple of times. The first time was back when he was at 10th Ward. We talked about uh, absinthe. So we had a, a great chat about that. And then most recently, we were, of course, talking about American single malt in general and Whiskey Del Bach in particular. And so this particular uh, pour that we have in front of us is their Frontera. And I don't know if he at the time knew exactly what he was going to do, but I think this is worth noting. Essentially, Del Bach had a lot of really specific distillery releases that were available you know, in the state and at the distillery, but really not too much outside of um, out, outside of the area. And so what he did is he took some of the most popular of those really small releases. One of them was the Frontera. The other two, I believe, were the Ode to Isla, which is their mm-hmm. heavily, heavily mesquited, not peated right. malt. And <laughs> then they also have a Normandy, which I believe is matured or finished in um, Calvados casks. So they took those really successful ones and they said, okay, we're going to scale these a little bit more. These are going to be our kind of right. annual releases that sit below their kind of standard, um, you know, their Dorado and some of their, their other like standard releases, but they're not going to be as esoteric and limited as those distillery only releases. So this is, this is kind of an evolution. You were kind of hinting at like, you know, what, what's he going to do when he gets there? What kind of process right. improvement? And I think we're seeing now that this, this kind of middle tier is, is exactly what Mark's been working on. Yes, I agree. Um, and I've, I've been very excited about it. Um, he brought the Ode Isla and some of those other ones which um, out to the Craft Spirits Conference. So we were able to really try a full lateral of the expressions that he's been working on. It's really exciting to see where it's going. So knowing that this is named after the uh, the city in Jerez, uh, Frontera de Jerez, uh, we must assume Sherry here, right? So, Absolutely. uh, in fact, we do, we know exactly what this is finished in. It's finished in, uh, Pedro <laughs> Jimenez, Sherry butts or botas. And, um, the one thing I, I, I think is interesting about this is that the Delbach, their, their kind of standard single malts are actually matured in slightly smaller casks than normal, mm-hmm. actually 15, I believe 15 gallons. And then we go into these sherry butts that are, I believe, what did I say in the notes? 300 liters or something something like that. Yeah, they're they're quite 500 liters I have here in the notes. So, um, you know, a big departure. Of course, it's a finishing move. um, But but anyway, 13 months in PX sherry botas. What are you getting? Which is important because their initial product isn't aged very long. Mm, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So this then is actually quite a long finish for them. Right. So, I mean, what do you, I guess we should probably, before talking about this, where do you stand on American single malt? Like what, what's your kind of thoughts on the category? It's, it's about to kind of hopefully, fingers crossed, get TTB approval. Hopefully. We thought that, uh, what, like a year ago, <laughs> we thought that was coming out. Um, I'm a huge fan. So I'm a malt person. I just think the capacity that malt, that barley actually, actually no, because I love malted rice and things, but Barley itself has such a capacity for flavor. And so being able to use all of these different barleys and the way that they express from specific process um, choices that are made um, just really creates this huge diversity of flavor. And so I'm a very, very passionate person when it comes to malt. And I think what is happening with American single malt is that we are immediately starting out with very different perspectives on how this should be created, which has created these... um, schools of American single malt. So whether they are more beer focused, whether they're more scotch focused, or where they're very much terroir and sort of provenance of like, I am American, I, I am here. So this is what it's going to be like. So being there's very different flavors, very different choices coming from all of these different categories. And for me, it's very exciting. And I would love to share it more with the, with the community. I think that what we're going to see coming out of all of these different distilleries is going to be incredibly diverse and exciting. And I mean, I'm, ex- I'm yeah, thrilled. It is, I'm thrilled. It is a super exciting category. <laughs> Definitely probably in my top three of, of categories to watch. You know, when I think of sherry finished single malts, I think of, you know, some of the 
wow, I just blanked on the region, not, not Campbelltown. What's what, what uh, space side. All right. So I'm thinking of all, yeah. of all the, all the Highlands. big, all the big space yeah. side kind of sherry bombs. Yeah. How did, how do we yeah. think this lines up on the nose and on the palate? So for me, it actually when it so initially, so I didn't have these out to sit for a while. So that initially there was definitely a very strong minerality mm. to it, almost like a, just a touch of the sulfury note, but that's gone. And, and I'm really getting a lot of that red fruit. I'm getting a lot of fresh, big, bright, uh, cherry mm. plum. I'm, uh, that's really kind of for me what it's leaning into. There's definitely some oak tannin, some, some trying to think it's like, it's a mm. sourness on the nose. Like, so maybe some sour cherry, but there's just like a sour note that's in there. That's a little mm. bit bright. Yeah, almost like a, like a preserve, like a, pre, like how preserves can kind of be sour, but also, yeah, sweet, yeah. just that tart. Maybe, yeah. Maybe that sort of yeah. lactic tart, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, With, if I had to order, like the order my favorite whiskey finishing casks, I don't know that px would necessarily be right at the top of the list it's never mine but i think that's because (laughs) i don't always get like some of those brighter notes from it like to me it often seems very heavy-handed of like god like could you tell me it tell me it's dessert without telling me it's dessert time right now just like it's so sweet absolutely and yeah this is this is like because we're pulling out all these fruits i'm like okay like now I can see a really positive use case for this. Whereas typically it's it's more like currants mm. and prune and like dried and very very um yeah like rich. Uh, this definitely has a vibrant Christmas it, uh, so. Christmas fruit cake I always get from it. Um, right, but you know th- uh, this might be I don't know I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. This to me is almost drinking like a little bit Japanese to me, and so like. My like if, if I'm thinking if granted this is a beautiful sipper on its own and, and we're this and the next one, you know, talking about cocktails with these is is maybe a little bit sacrilegious. <laughs> but yeah. Highball. But like to me, like a beautiful <laughs> oh, yeah. highball made yeah. with this would be like, ooh, yes. um, that's that's exciting to me. Yeah, because there's an unusual savory component mm. in the oak that feels almost like an incense mm. sort of thing, right? Like um or even like a a, a a savory mushroom like mm. i don't know yeah yeah and i think you know maybe maybe that is like may, you know maybe i still have a little bit of that galangal root you know knocking around my brain but you know what maybe yeah yeah but the savory applications are certainly what i'm what i'm thinking about in in these in these first two expressions that we've tasted here um so just to give a little bit more info that we have on the uh on the tasting sheet here we talked about the limited release nature of it. So it's it's aged in new American white oak, then finished 13 months PX. And the MSRP uh, for this limited annual release is going to be $90. So, okay. you know, if, if you're thinking, if you're thinking scotches, other, you know, kind of like con- trying to compare malt to malt, this is kind of going to be sitting on the shelf around the same price point as some of those special but not hyper rare, you know, like Isla and other and Highland releases that that we see occasionally. Uh, I know that like, you know, like a lot of the Isla ones will do their, I'm thinking like Lafroy Kalila, stuff like that. It's kind of clocking yeah, in around yeah. the same price point. Um, so again, yeah. I think it's kind of nice to see American distillers being able to kind of, you know, walk through the door and say, boom, I'm going to put this, I'm going to, we're going to put our, limited product on the shelf right alongside, you know, some of these big titans who are putting these offerings out there. Right. Well, I think that honestly, they, they probably deserve it even more. They're smaller quantities, you know, they're doing everything. These are craft spirits. So, um, and we know here in the United States, especially malted barley taste costs a lot more than your corn or your rice or things. We don't, we haven't really set up that infrastructure in the United States yet for our malted barley to be at a price point where we would be able to have single malts that are at 25, 30, you know, like we just don't have that quite yet. And so I, I think that this app makes absolute sense for where it's coming from and who's, um, who's making it. That point about infrastructure is like beautiful because I think one of the <laughs> things that you get, and we might talk about this with the, the next um, spirit that we taste, but I feel like sourcing grains like malt 
is all about relationships, right? And it's about like invest, like 100%. you can get corn, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing against our, you know, <laughs> clear spirits distillers who are sourcing NGS, but you can get corn NGS anywhere at any time. Yeah for roughly around the same price. I mean, yes, there was a spike during the pandemic for hand sanitizer stuff, but aside from little blips like that, NGS is NGS, but malts on the other hand, going completely to the other end of the spectrum, aside from fruit, it's about the most expensive thing that you can work with as, Mm -hmm. as your distillate base. And, and, you know, these relationships with the growers are hugely important. You know, I, I talked with our, our friend, actually, Lauren Patz from, yeah. she's currently with uh, Redwood Empire. She, that was one of the things that she always emphasized was sort of like the relationships between, you know, the distillers and the malt producers. And I, I know that Mark has that. <laughs> and I know that that's also something uh, that we'll, to talk about with our next spirit. But overall, um, any any kind of closing remarks on the uh, on the whiskey del Bach Frontera? Um, I feel like it was on the nose. I felt like it was going to be a little bit brighter mm-hmm. on the palate. I didn't find that. I think there's much more of a richness, much more of a depth mm-hmm. there, almost like a honeyed note. But yes, very much of that sort of. Uh, I still get for me, it's kind of savory mm-hmm. on the on the palate. Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting note, and I think that being able to taste this alongside their Ode to Isla and their Normandy would probably mm. be like just an amazing flight. So I'm actually going to, I might talk to some folks here in DC about seeing if we could put together like a flight with some of these that they could actually, you know, kind of walk people through at the bar. And maybe uh, I, th- I think that yeah, they're looking great. to expand their distro. So hopefully in the near Ooh, future, DC, is the DC. Best easy peasy, yeah. DC is easy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, we'll take it. What did you think? Yeah, I, I loved it. And I, you know, I, I'm excited to put it in a highball and I, I know, I know it kind of mm. bothers sometimes like the other spirits experts that, uh, that we kind of run with, but, uh, to me, like the highball, like outside of, outside of like a martini or an old fashioned, to me, the highball is kind of a litmus test. And, I am. I, I honestly wish we had better highball culture here in the U.S. because right. I don't think we have much of one. Like, yeah, sure, all right, you can make the trek up to Katana Kitten in New York, but I mean, like, out, outside right. of that, I, you know, we just don't have the culture of people who really care about highballs. And uh, you know, that to me, this is something that I think would just absolutely flourish, specifically with high carbonation and with a little bit of salt, right, to kind of actually lean into. To that yep. savory note yep. and um yeah so just but nobody yeah you, there's i don't know that there's anywhere that we would go where they would actually know how to prepare a proper right. highball that they would have their glasses already chilled or know to, to chill and strain like i don't know that anyone would be would know to take those full steps to create the proper highball so then you've got over dilution and you just ruined what we were really intending to, to see is is what happens when you're adding this this these beautiful bubbles and you're extending those flavors and uh bringing that proof down just that little bit to really open it up oh, so yeah. mark maybe um, yeah. maybe so let's hop on a call <laughs> me you and tracy and we'll talk about talk about uh how to how to get some highball programs going in, in some of the yes. places in uh, tucson and dc and really feature these beautiful That's products great. but uh so with that, let's uh, let's hit another American single malt. Yes. Also not mad at this neat BT does. Oh, no. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> this will not be going in the sink. This will be a... Uh... Right. Yes. Uh, so this next bottle, it's a little it's a little baby, little baby bottle um, from <laughs> Westland. Hey, but that branding is clear. I know where yep, that's from. It's from Westland. And uh, we'll talk about why it's a little baby bottle here in a minute, I'm sure. Uh, but this is their Solemn American Single Malt. Uh, it's their first edition, but this is, again, sort of part of a trio of releases that they've done. And, you know, kind of going back to what you were saying earlier about storytelling, about, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the the different, like, I guess, approaches to American Single Malt. You know, this is this is really trying to tell the story of the place. Um, what are your thoughts on, on Westland or I guess, um, like there's a, there's a slightly more mature history of American single malts in the Pacific Northwest, partially because of their ability to grow some of this malt. So like, what, what are your thoughts about maybe Westland in general or in particular, and then I guess PNW whiskey in, in general? Yeah. So, right. So McCarthy's was one of the first to like kind of 
get this this started and say, well, why are we not making it? We've got barley, you know, it's grow it grows well here and we should be making this. And so it definitely has expanded there through St. George. It's gone and, and then Westland, um, Westward, all of these places are creating and, and even within those categories, very different styles of American single malt. And I think what's been wonderful, I also am biased, letting you guys know. And if you see my shirt. Oh, there it is. Yeah, a little biased. <laughs> um, so Westland was one of those places. Matt Hoffman is someone I've watched for a very long time and had a little bit of like, a, just like, I want to learn from this person. They're doing things that I think are important for the entirety of the industry. And so reached out and, and I was invited in. So I got to really hang out with the team for two weeks and work at the distillery and, and do everything I could possibly think of. I went up to the, to the, um, the maturation, the warehouses, and then also went out to the bread lab, which is where Westland is thinking outside of, of just what does Westland do for a sense of place, but actually looking at how are we making the industry a better place? How are we ensuring that our entire community and all of our farmers are able to have a healthy wage, are able to grow things that are bio, that actually have a biodiversity. So one of the things that happens in, and actually I'm doing a seminar at Tales about farmers and distillers and how we work together. But what, one of the reasons I was inspired to do that was because of my trip to Westland and up to the Bread Lab, where they're really working to increase the biodiversity of our agriculture. Because, because of commodity farming, we are now creating these monocultures where if anything, any sort of disease, any sort of strange weather comes, like we have wiped out complete huge miles and millions, thousands of acres of plants because they all were coming from the exact same stock. We don't have the diversity they need to be able to survive and be strong. So one of the things that uh, is actually happening is Matt Hoffman and Westland Whiskey work directly with the Bread Lab. They actually have hired a grad student. They, they pay them to go through this program to help create new strains of barley that work wonderfully in the Pacific Northwest that have great yields, that have great flavor, and that um, so that they can then get off of the commodity market 100%. Everything will be coming from you know, from the Skagit Valley. Um, and the, there's also on the other side of the mountain, but I don't know what it's mm. called, sorry. Um, <laughs> so I think that the fact that they have been so uh, mindful about the ways they move throughout this industry and the ways, the choices that they can make. So Solum, like the fact that they're using their own peat, the fact that they are working with Guriana Oak, which is the Oregon Oak that only grows on the, in the Pacific Northwest. And, um, now is down to 5% of its habitat, but they have programs where they are going out and planting. They harvest dead trees to be able to plant new trees. Um, and so they're being very, very conscious about how they're moving through this industry. And I, I just think it's a wonderful thing. And I hope that we can all be inspired by that um, because the earth is, is our own, it's our home. And a lot of the things that we are doing right now are causing so much damage. And I just hope that we can all as an industry start to be a bit more mindful about our waste. So they also are very lucky that they're in Seattle. So their power is mm -hmm. hydropower. So, you know, that's great already. Um, they do a really wonderful job of with their water um, of trying to be as um, efficient as possible. So I don't know, I think they're doing a wonderful job. And I'm really excited to see what this is like, because I've actually tasted this on the way, right? So I've tasted this alone, but before they were able to get the PPM mm. high enough. Yeah. So when I was at the maltings, they were showing me what he built to actually create this infusion wow. for the barley. And they just hadn't been able to get it up to a high enough PPM for it to really be uh, detectable in a way that was that was unique. He was like, OK, that is, you know, something that that is peated. So they at that time were blending it into their peated and, and just like really giving it an opportunity to like figure it out. So I'm so glad they figured it out. And now we yeah, so PPM, right. of course, phenolic parts per million, and this is a term that you see bandied about quite a bit in the in the Scotch world. Um, you know, uh, I'm thinking about the way that Bricklotti, for example, uh, that goes yeah. through and enumerates it in, in painstaking <laughs> detail in the Octomore and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. But you'll see PPM a lot. I'm actually trying to get. Um, uh, somebody on here, uh, Felipe, uh, to talk about uh, basically kind of rehash one of the talks that he did at Tails. So if any listeners yeah. are going to Tails, keep your eye out. I'm pretty sure have they released the <laughs> the um, the seminars yet. Uh, I don't know. I know that they had tickets out. I don't know if the seminars were also released. I they they, I, they should. They should. It's in July. I yeah. 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 So mine is why farmers and distillers should be friends. So if you're going to Tails, <laughs> sign up, hang out with Tracy. And uh, please, 
Yeah. So this is so to to get a little bit further in here. This is actually made using peat that's harvested from bogs uh, within a couple hours of the distillery or Seattle. And mm-hmm. so they, they kind of do a, a neat process. I don't know if you got to see it or if they uh, talked you through it while they were there. But it, in Scotland, they do a lot of bog draining. And then, you know, for obvious reasons, that makes it easier to kind of harvest this turf in an efficient way. But there are some other side effects to that. Obviously, you know, bogs are their own little unique ecosystems, and um, there's certain gases that are released when um, when you when you do that, and you essentially expose these layers of rotting turf suddenly to air. They're not not covered by water anymore. So uh, it seems like the folks over at Westland have found a way to go in without really disturbing the bog environment as much, and actually harvest the the peat wet and then go and dry it. So kind of another, just like another little tick on that uh, sustainability kind of belt that they're, that they're building. Yep. Absolutely. So what do you get? I mean, what do you, what do you get? If you were to nose this blind and not know the story behind it, you know, what, what would you be, what would you be thinking? I would immediately think that it was a Highland peat. Um, right. So it's definitely much more forest mm-hmm. than, um, Phenols that put out more of the, the oceanic or iodine, those sorts of things. The iodine is, mm. is not here for me. It's much more of a sweet peat. Sweet peat. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I'm looking for like those roast meats or those, and that's not it. I'm not, this is a very unusual smoke mm-hmm. for me. I, I'm almost an herbal. So I was thinking because, um, this, I don't know if I should have this conversation, um, but I have burnt some lavender recently. I have a new garden and it's reminding me more of like an, herbal burn which i think is strange but sweet peat and the herbal burn that uh uh so one of the <laughs> i'm gonna make a story, one of the right? things <laughs> that i did uh did notice uh, in my research here is that uh so one of the unique components so so peat is just rotting plants and animals right that, that's kind yeah. of uh partially decomposed and then solidified into this kind of uh, turf plant substrate, and one of the ingredients, quote unquote, in the peat up by Westland is actually Labrador tea, I believe. Um, and oh, that makes mm-hmm. so much sense. There we go. Mm-hmm. So you were right. <laughs> Damn, you were right. Uh, but oh, I agree. Cool. I had, like, huh. you're you're not just right. Like on paper, you're you're right in the glass too. Like it's not, you know, to me, I I might even if if I weren't thinking single malt, I'm. I might even struggle to identify this as peated just on the nose. Now on the palate, like I think it definitely comes through yeah. a little bit more. You get more of that smoke, and uh, but but on the on the nose, yeah, it's 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 rather delicate, I would say, but definitely plays kind of in that Highland kind of style. Yes, mm. but I would definitely say that it's a it would be have been a quite low ppm, and then it would have been with a space side style whiskey because all of the things are pointing towards lightness mm. and fruit and you know yeah and but on the palate yeah it is this is a complicated dram it's, and it's I, it's still changing as I, I'm, I'm trying to say oh it's this or it's this but nope every time i, I go to say a tasting yeah. it kind of evolves a little bit and uh i to me it's kind of it's kind of warping between oily and dry almost like the dry from dry exactly. from the smoke, but yes. then oily from something else. And every time I'm like, Ooh, it's drying out. Then it gets oily again on me. So there's some really interesting yeah. textural play going on here that I think, you know, speaking to price point, yes, this is a very limited release. They will do others. I think yeah. they're up to number six and number three on the other two releases in the series that are kind of showcasing right, so. the Oak and, um, showcasing the, I believe the barley. Yeah, so the outpost range is really what they've created to, to show that sense of place. So they are focusing on barleys that have been created, that are either created or that were uh, intentional, that, that were, um, oh my gosh. Sort of heritage. Um, yeah. Localized, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. But they're, they are from the Pacific Northwest. Like, they are things that, that thrive in that environment. So the Calare is one of those that they use for the barley. And then the Guyana oak, which we spoke about, which is only in that area. And then using their own peat. is that, that, Again, this is the third 
um, like addition, like style that they've done, but within within the barley, they explore different barleys within the Garyana. They're doing different expressions, different percentages, different finishes using the Garyana. And now we get to explore what does, you know, what is Washington peat like and how are they going to then take that into new, new round. Yeah, and to me, I guess in a word, it's crazy. Washington Pete is crazy so far for me. I can't figure <laughs> it out yet. Um, so while, while I still sit here and it's super long finish too. Um, mm-hmm. but while I still struggle to figure out exactly what just happened to my palate, I, I'll, I'll give a few more stats. So this, this release is only a little over 4,000 bottles. Uh, again, they're oh, going okay. to do further releases of this expression, but the first one's pretty, pretty limited. Uh, the MS SRP is $150 a bottle. So this is definitely, you know, moving into the premium slash aspiring to be super premium, but wants people to still buy it kind of price point. This is your (laughs) special Christmas present price point. Right. Um, And uh, a couple other uh, they, they were actually really granular with their process. So the, they fermented this for 96 to 144 hours, um, which is 96 hours is what, four days, I believe. Um, oh, yeah. And then in terms of cast types, they've got a whole portfolio of wood that they've used on this. So they've got uh, Cooper's Reserve, New American Oak, Cooper's Select New American Oak. And then also there's a certain amount of First Fill X bourbon casks that were used. And for people who are like Cooper's Reserve, like what is that, like Cooper's Sharp Cheese or something? No, it's the the way that some of these these barrels are actually marketed to distillers is they'll have different levels of seasoning on the staves, right? So Mm -hmm. the difference between a reserve and a select, for example, I'm just giving a hypothetical here, could be the amount of time that they were seasoned, uh, or it could be uh, and one of a couple of different factors that these Coopers use to kind of improve the quality of the staves that they use to create these barrels. So that to me is like when they say Coopers Reserve and Cooper Select, they've, they've got like some really nice barrels and then probably some really, really, really nice barrels. Right. I don't know if, if that's the way you read that. I, I do actually, because uh, we know that you always want, would prefer to have longer um, seasoning outside is your, is your preference, but that's also yes. very expensive. So we know that some people will season outdoors for up to five years. So if, and, and the flavor pro- profile that you get from those is dramatically different. So being able to even have a small portion of those can really create some dynamic flavor changes in your whiskey. Now using, I, I would assume that probably both of these though are probably are going to be coopered or, or seasoned outside versus doing it in, in, you know, the mm. ovens, which is typically what's being used for some of the lower end, but for, but they're putting such great barley in, like they've done so much work that I, I assume that they are, are going to put that into some well seasoned and uh, probably also maybe the toast. Mm-hmm. You know, because that that long toast really does create a lot of really beautiful flavors as well. So maybe that's something. Yeah, I think I have not spent a whole ton of time. I think this is my fourth or fifth year judging an ADI. And I don't spend a ton of time on tables where they're doing a lot of whiskeys. Occasionally, Mm -hmm. I'll get a bunch of age stuff if I'm on like the rum or the cane table. And... It was really illuminating for me the last time I judged and I got to hang out with Nancy Fraley, who is just an aging guru. And as we were nosing and tasting some stuff on the table, like she would be able to take like, you know, we, we, we give some notes and then she'd pick it up and she'd go, oh yeah, it's green. It's got a green tinge. This was kiln dried. Right. And I was like, oh, like it's crazy (laughs) that you know that. But on the other hand, Mm. our flavor analysis kind of bears out what you're saying. Exactly that. So I think even more kiln drying like can be detected. Mm-hmm. Like you can taste it. Um, you just can. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but but typically, I mean, you, if you're able to blend things away, good, yeah. great job. Go on it and do it. But uh, yeah, kiln drying can sometimes do a little bit of damage to some whiskeys single barrels Ooh. especially i've had some single barrels that i know were kiln drying this from some new brands and i just didn't eesh, know how to tell them. Oof, better you than me yeah. um yeah so <laughs> yeah getting back to the solemn i i guess 
This is really fascinating to me because I, I think it's an emerging case for super premium American single malt in, in our market. And it's just not something that you really see. Um, what are, what are your thoughts on just the overall project of this and, and what's going on in this class? Because it is, it is fascinating. And I, I kind of, I'm kind of jelly that this bottle is, is now. It's, it's gone. <laughs> um, I am even more excited about, actually, I, I think I, I think I really do want to pick up a bottle of this because it, there's nothing that tastes like this. I've never had anything that tastes like this. And even the finish, though it's long, it's, refer- again, it, it's this clean, smoke. Like I'm not left with this heavy, boggy, you know, ashtray. Like it is a very light, aromatic finish, like still sitting on my palate. That's just like, as if I just burned just a tiny little bit of incense in the mm. closet. Just, you know, it's, it's not heavy. It is, there's a little bit of a sharpness, sort of acrid smoke for a moment on your palate during that drying. But then it, it comes back, like you said, with that oiliness that goes, Oh wait, no, it's not going that far, like, but it, it does vacillate on your palate. There's a, um, there is some fruit, uh, but I get a lot of really lovely sort of golden syrup. Mm. There is a little bit of that maltiness. Yeah. I don't know. This is really, yeah. It almost like the golden syrup, almost it kind of, one of, one of my favorite tasting notes and some people just don't like this one. It's not, it's not one that I, I see as very okay. popular, but I like it because I grew up eating them, but graham cracker almost mm. like, like, yeah. like this is yeah. like a very smoky adultish kind of graham cracker. Yes. hundred percent. hundred percent actually. And I, for me, you say graham cracker, I taste it. Like I immediately know. <laughs> I know exactly what the graham cracker is. And it know? took me a while to get there because of all the other stuff that's going on. But like, but yeah, if, if you, if you can just meditate and kind of isolate the malt, then it's like, hmm, yeah, that is, that is kind of right. nice and round and sweet. Um, so as I said, $150 a bottle. There, that might that that might be a price point at which most people walk up to on the shelf and say, "Hmm, are we sure this is worth it?" And and I understand to that. that I would simply respond, "Let's see if you can find this at a bar and get a pour, and then tell us what you think." Because yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm not spending a whole lot of money on liquor these days, but to me, it's not not worth it. Right, and I mean, knowing the background of it, knowing. Well, and I know even more of it back. I know how many years they worked on mm-hmm. this project because they just couldn't get the actual, like, the peating, like, so so the kilning process, actually being able to take this wet barley and kiln enough of this peat for it to be enca- and captured and to get enough of that phenol to actually abduct to that. Uh, it just, it was really, really an interesting conversation to have at Skagit Valley and to have... Um, with everybody at the distillery that was waiting for this to get to the point where they could release it on its own. So knowing the years that it took, it's one of those things like, right, so when we talk about um, the Three Chamber Still, right, knowing the years and the passion behind that project makes that bottle sitting at $200, you're like, okay, yeah. I get it, right? This, this to me, I, I know that there's been years of effort to create this. So I, and what has been created is something that is incredibly unique and it is delicious. It's also like it's it's nothing where like I wouldn't feel bad giving this to someone who doesn't like sure. whiskey. Yeah, yeah, right. So people that that don't like that iodine, that don't like um, that heavily accurate, I would I would give this to them because I think that this is something that they mm. could actually enjoy. Well, that's a wonderful note to wrap this spirit on, and uh, yeah. So for those of you who haven't already sampled some of their wares, check out the Solum and some of the other great products by Westland Distilling based out of Seattle. My sister's there now. Hmm, maybe, maybe, oh, I, really? maybe I should go. Oh, she should stop in. They always have distillery yeah, maybe only I should, uh, Maybe I should go visit. And uh, yeah, that's... Wait, she lives there? Well, not in the distillery. She in Seattle. No, no, no. Yeah. She lives in Seattle. Yeah, oh my gosh, yeah. go. It's time wonderful. For a trip. It's such a great city. Um, I had such a great so time. So we've got one more very special. One more. Okay, I'm okay. going to go get my sparkling water because that's what I want. I wanted to see how that played. Indeed. So well, I'll, I'll, talk, right I'll talk with you. I've got mine right here. <laughs> great. So the last product is actually kind of a duo of products here uh, from one of our awesome, awesome listeners, Ebony Coleman. She is based out of Georgia. And she and I have been emailing off and on about all kinds of stuff, about no ABV cocktail stuff and about her latest venture where she's actually uh, creating a set of syrups 
and cocktail mixers. Uh, it's called Sweet Ginger Brown SGB. And what she sent us, she sent me a couple of different products that from their portfolios. I'm pretty sure I sent you, Tracy, the ginger lime. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Uh, so that's a syrup. And I, I've got the ginger palmer. So mine is a little bit more diluted than yours is. But um, I'm excited. Like to me, like I, you know, I was looking at her different products and I was like, ooh, a palmer. And mm. it immediately made me think that I, I think the Palmer is a drink format that needs a little bit more love in the cocktail world. I don't know. It's yeah. been a while since I've had like a good boozy Palmer. I mean, they are delicious and it's summer. It's a perfect summer drink. So I, I, I think again, I think we've, we've stepped away from things that are simple, mm. but I think there could be a really, I think you could do a super delicious elevated highball of Palmer style. Yeah. Yep. That could be fun. I mean, the, the only time I've really seen it elevated is in Liquid Intelligence, where Dave Arnold does the kind of like the 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 washing of the polyphenols out of the the really tannic black the tea. tea. But yeah. um, but aside yeah. from that, I mean, like I don't know, I could see I could see it being a really solid choice for a bar program, especially something that you might you know try to push you, as a happy hour special or something. So any bartenders out there listening, maybe maybe well, think about yeah, it. it's something that you can you know microfine it and and you could keg it. Mm-hmm. Like it's, 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 that's a super simple draft cocktail. So yeah. yeah, no, I'd go for that. So, so this is very bright. Um, the ginger lime, okay. Uh, the ginger definitely present. I feel like the lime is not quite as present. It's just overwhelmed by the ginger. Yeah. So there's um, a lot of ginger in this. We can see it. There's, yeah. there's, uh, you know, one of the, one of the other things is that there's actually some ginger in the bottle still with this. So I think it's getting a little bit of infusion as it kind of sits after it's bottled. Yeah. Okay. A little bit of lime on the back palate. I got, I got, I got them. All right, let's do this with some soda water. Yep. It's lovely. It, I mean, it is definitely sharp. It is, we've got the heat of the ginger. It's got a little bit of that, that sour from the lime, but it's the heat of the ginger that stays on your palate. Mm. Mm hmm Yeah. This is, you know, so it's interesting uh, working with ginger. You either tend to, in my experience, end up with products that are way just like just try it like it's it's almost like people like trying to blow your brains out with the ginger mm -hmm. or products <laughs> on the other hand where you don't get to like you know that you're like ah like you probably should have thrown a little bit of dried ginger in there with that to right. maybe get a little bit more heat on it because it's you get the flavor there but it's just not as pronounced as perhaps it could be which also sometimes is that sugar level right so finding that balance. So I do think that this has a perfect balance of sugar and mine. Mm -hmm. um, it's great for a mixer. So even I just did soda water and this has a beautiful balance of, of sweet to heat. Uh, this is really tasty. Yeah. <laughs> it's not pretty. And, and it is immediately um, all of that ginger is sitting on the bottom. And even as it's just sitting here, not just the ginger, but there's also sediment that's falling. So that's the only thing I, I would be a little concerned about is like the consistency of flavor. I'm going to have to constantly stir it at mm -hmm. before I pour it into anything, but it's, it's well-made. It's delicious. It tastes fresh. Um, so Ebony right now is, so she is working out of a commercial kitchen space, which been there, been there, <laughs> made syrups out of a commercial kitchen. Uh, yeah. It is not easy. It is messy. It is sticky. It is mm -hmm. all of the above. And there's a reason why we stopped doing that after roughly a year, because, uh, it is a hard gig, but she's cranking these out of a commercial kitchen facility and um, she's selling them uh, at a lot of farmers markets. And she's, uh, you know, she and I've been emailing, she's kind of building up her kind of portfolio of, of actually like retailers for these syrups. So a um, lot of, lot of love and respect for the entrepreneurial journey of trying to get a mixer Absolutely. to market. Um, it is Absolutely. not an easy thing. But the lemon That's in this delicious. Palmer I have, I got to say, it's got a good amount of bitterness. I could do with a little bit more. I think I could do with a little bit more tannins in here, like maybe mm -hmm. a little bit more. I don't know. I don't know what the tea culture is like down south per se. Like, I don't know mm. if the Palmer tends right. to go more in the sweet tea direction or the sun right. tea direction as as you kind of oh, go south. <laughs> Come on. Um, for me, I would, I would love just a little bit more, a uh, citric, mm -hmm. 
like just a little bit more of that lime because I know that the lime is there, but really this ginger is take overpowering. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is delicious. Yeah. Um, perhaps like an oleo situation, uh, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of that lime oil in there. I, again, right. I don't know how that fares in a syrup. We didn't oleo any of the syrups that I used to make. I don't know right. if at some point that falls out of suspension and creates an oil slick on the top of your bottle that maybe you don't want. Right. So maybe you don't follow that <laughs> advice unless you know that it's going to work. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, ginger mixers, we are, I mean, it's just been cold and rainy here in DC, but mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks I'm going to the beach and I know yes. what I'm bringing out for our little beach cooler so that we can yeah. sip that next to the waves. Yeah, thank you so much, Ebony. This is this is delicious. And sure. we will hopefully, hopefully Ebony is going to record a little blurb for us. And if she does record a little little video, a little audio for us, then we'll go ahead and we'll clip that in right here. Hi, I'm Ebony, the product creator of Sweet Ginger Brown Mixer Elixir. Sweet Ginger Brown is a plant-based ginger simple syrup and ready-to-drink beverage for people who prefer a natural alternative to chemical-based drinks. Sweet Ginger Brown can help you create higher quality, better tasting cocktails and non-alcoholic drinks. I started the business when I was trying to recreate the recipe for a house-made ginger ale that I tasted in a restaurant. It took me six months to create a recipe that I could reproduce and rely on. When I would take my homemade ginger ale to work functions when I was working in a doctor's office, my coworkers encouraged me to sell the product. I wasn't convinced that I should be selling a homemade ginger ale, but when I took samples of the drink to the gym and let some guys try it, they also told me I should be selling the drink. So I didn't delay, I got started with the business right away and the name Sweet Ginger Brown came to me quite easily. What I enjoy most about my business is that I get to interface directly with customers who purchase from me at farmer's markets and pop-ups, and I am so gratified by the reaction and response that I get when people take that first sip. My customers are also very supportive and they want to see me keep growing and keep going in my business. I previously worked in the pharmaceutical industry and I currently work in the field of public health and clinical research. And so what I also enjoy about my business is that it allows me to combine my interest in food and beverage, health and wellness, as well as in business. Because we have 10 flavors, there is something for everyone to enjoy. So whether you want to enjoy sweet ginger brown to enhance the flavor of your spirit-based cocktails or as a non-alcoholic drink, you will find a flavor that is right for you. So I would encourage you to learn more about the product. You can learn about us at sweetgingerbrownwithane.com. And please, I invite you to give Sweet Ginger Brown a try. Thank you. Well, Tracy, what do you think of your, your first new and noteworthy spirits review sesh? Um, I appreciate you choosing me to be on. I, it's always such a strange thing to me. I'm like, why, why do people want to talk to me? I, I feel very grateful. Your show is fantastic. You've had some incredible guests, and I feel honored to have been selected to be among them. Um, thank you. Well, yeah, no, thank you. And I, I mean, come on, look at look at all those bottles behind you. You know what you're talking about. You're you're you're, you're showcasing. You're, you're putting in the work. You're putting in the reps. Um, I really do try to put in the work. Yeah. That is true. I do try. Well, Tracy, tell our listeners where they can follow you because I know that you do something kind of similar. You've got your little mailbag hours on Instagram. <laughs> So yes, I am spirited Tracy with an IE on Instagram and I love to teach. So my biggest thing is I think that whiskey, again, has a lot of mystery around it. Spirits have a lot of mystery, the production process, and it doesn't have to. I'm I'm pretty good at breaking those down into short minute and a half videos (laughs) that give you kind of the, the major points about what is happening within the production process and why it matters. I also really love to judge, like, pull out some whiskeys that we haven't had before or ones that have processes that are a little surprising and that may alter that flavor. And why does that happen? So I'm just trying to talk about 
the spirits world in a way that is approachable, that is fun and intriguing. So follow me on Instagram, spirited underscore Tracy with an IE. I have a website if you'd like to check me out for any events, tastings, that sort of thing. But honestly, I just hope that you find joy in your spirit's journey. That's it. I'm going to take my seltzer off the table for our final shot. But uh, but right. yes, little cheers to you. And thanks for being my co-host here on the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. <laughs> cheers. cheers. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed, distilled insights courtesy of the impeccable palette of spirits judge and educator Tracy Franklin, and a little bit of commentary by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2023.